you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want you to take it and open it with me, probably to a place you didn't think maybe I would take you to, but I want you to go to Luke chapter 30, 23, sorry, Luke chapter 23 with me this morning, as we now finish our journey to the cross. And the title of my sermon this morning is Jesus is the Savior who rests and reigns. And you'll understand that if you're a guest or a visitor and you're looking in on this Easter Sunday morning, maybe you've been looking for a service, life is a bit upside down, and you thought, man, I need to find some place where someone will talk to me. Maybe you were raised in church and you've kind of drifted away from that, and yet Christmas and Easter is that time where we get a little bit more thoughtful, maybe a little bit more nostalgic. And so we go and we look for something. If you're joining us for the very first time, Way back a number of weeks ago now, we started a journey to the cross at our church. And we actually preached through the seven different statements of Jesus. And we are going to culminate today on Easter Sunday morning on the fact that Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And I would say that that is a very important statement for all of us. But here we are. It's Easter of 2020. Now, I don't know about you, but this is going to stand out. This is one of those events where I think not just for me and for Steve, who's just here to my left, but for all of us, this will be one of those Easter's that we will likely for the rest of our lives remember where we were. We'll never forget it might have been for those, if there are some seniors still alive, that can remember D-Day. Or like myself, I remember where I was. I was at a prayer meeting at a church in this city when I, we heard that the bombs had dropped on Iraq. I know where I was in Prince Edward Island when the word went out that planes flew in to the Twin Towers. And I also remember where I was when the economic crash came not too long ago and the bailouts started to happen, especially in North America in those 2007, 2008 years. The truth of the matter is, this is not like our normal Easter's. We're gonna remember this. And the truth is as human beings, we remember events, our wedding, a death, a birth, an anniversary. Whether they're personal events or local events, whether they're national events like when Canada won gold at the Olympics in Vancouver, or they're global events, they have a way of making us mark the time and the place of our lives. So this is our fourth Sunday, believe it or not, in isolation. We're now experiencing the economic fallout, and we've been told that that's going to last even much longer than perhaps this virus. And in fact, after four weeks now of this, a month has gone by, we likely feel we've got less answers and more uncertainty than ever before. I don't know about you, but how bad must it be when a reporter of the Washington Post publishes an article with this headline, even those of us who don't believe 
need what can religion can provide right now. <laughs> I mean, how bad is it when that's the headline? But Dr. Al Mohler has written and this on this, and he points out, the reality is the world around us seems to be reaching out for religion, but not for God. And that, my friends, is just as tragic and dangerous as the coronavirus itself. It's to put your faith and trust, even your life, in something that cannot and won't deliver. It's hollow. It will overpromise and underdeliver. It is another lie of Satan and will never allow us to rest. So today, on this day, on April the 12th of 2020, Easter Sunday, I want us to see how coming to Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, not only changes your life, but you are transformed. You'll be given a new perspective for this life and the life to come. In fact, you have a hope built on someone, not something. Indeed, as the hymn says, I've built my hope on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And listen now, his righteousness. And I believe that that is nowhere seen so powerfully as in the seventh and last statement of Jesus on the cross. Father, he cries out, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, the Savior who rests and reigns, is the very expression of the difference between religion and faith. It's what separates religion from humanism and intellect. It separates atheism and human philosophy. This is why we started with that video, That's My King. Jesus is not a man. He is the man. He is the God-man. He is not a way, but the way. He is not a possible truth. He is the truth. And oh, my friends, I want you. I need you. I beg you. I plead with you to take this truth, this one truth from my sermon on this Sunday, this Easter. Listen to me now, especially young people. Listen, Jesus is the hero of Easter, not religion. Jesus is the one who died to offer life to us all. He, and only he, turns everything upside down. Well, wait a second. Actually, no. He actually makes it possible for life to be what it was meant to be. For the creation to commune with the creator. For sin and death and sorrow and fear. For hate and killing and pride and hoarding and doubt and broken relationships to be overcome and to be healed and to be restored. Jesus, our Savior, is alive. And what's more, he rests and reigns. Oh, and by the way, he's coming again. And I hope that by the time we finish our next 30 minutes or so, that you will see that Jesus, who came as a baby and lived as an outcast and died innocent, 
rose again, defeated sin and Satan and death, and will come again as the Lion of Judah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And even right now, in the midst of this global pandemic, offers you and I rest. And what's more? There's an invitation. Come, come and experience this rest and be part of that reign now. But even before I read our passage, I want you to be reminded that even before those special ladies came and found an empty tomb on that glorious Sunday morning, Jesus gives us a preemptive I win, death loses. And it's filled out for us. And I want you to follow along at home. Let me read our passage in Luke chapter 23. And I want to begin in verse 44. Dr. Luke, who traveled with the Apostle Paul, writes this gospel. And here he writes it for a friend of his named Theophilus, who was a Greek. And here he is now wanting them to know that the Son of Man, Jesus, is who he says he is. And it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they, had saw, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid for it was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. And so the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now let's keep reading. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb and taking the spices that they had prepared... And they found the stone, rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? 
And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping in and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Now listen to me. On Friday, just two days ago, my brother Steve talked a little bit about numbers. You see, we've been on this journey to the cross, and today we celebrate that the cross doesn't hold Jesus' body anymore. And in fact, as I've just read, the tomb is empty. But we've seen the wonderful cross through the seven statements of Jesus while he was being crucified. Seven statements. All of them fulfilled scripture. All of them gave us a different facet of the gospel. Jesus spoke to his Father on behalf of others. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus spoke to a guilty, dying thief and accepted his confession and repentance and offered him salvation. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus spoke to his mother and to John, his disciple, caring and providing for the one and commissioning the other. Jesus spoke to God again, this time crying out in anguish at the punishment he bore to pay for our sin. When he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he cried out to the spectators and to you and me when he identified with our humanity and he said, I thirst. On Friday, Jesus reminded us, and listen to me now, Jesus spoke to heaven and to earth and to hell and to angels and to demons and to Satan and humanity when he proclaimed, it is finished. Which, by the way, is the sixth statement of Jesus. And on today, this Easter Sunday, we consider this final statement. Father, into thy hand. I commit my spirit. It's a statement of relationship, of renewal, of rest and reign. Hang on to that, okay? So what should we take to this final statement? How does this statement of Jesus affect you and I in the here and now? So will you come with me for a few minutes and let's discover. Number one, if you're taking notes or you want to study this this week, Jesus Rest and reigns because of his fellowship with God. Now, just like the video we played on Friday, remember? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And the one we played again today, that's my king. Those are my two favorite videos of all time. You see, Jesus was humiliated and mocked and betrayed, and beaten, and abandoned, and alienated. He's falsely accused and falsely convicted. He's numbered with transgressors. His clothes were gambled over. Jesus bled, and he thirsted. He was left to bear the weight of all sin, of all humanity, for all time. For three hours he hung on that cross, with a sarcastic sign over his head, 
This is the king of the Jews. He listened to the threats and the cries for miracles and proof of his power and his messiahship. And then, for another three hours, from noon till three o'clock, the sky goes dark. And you have to understand why this happened. And you need to realize how unimaginable it is for us to identify with this. Jesus in his humanity is crushed under the weight of God's holy wrath. Isaiah 53 graphically describes this. But our gospel writers tell us that for those second three hours, the sun was darkened. And when Jesus yells out and dies... The earth quakes and the curtain in the temple is torn in two. By the way, from the top to the bottom. And don't just let that pass you by. That great curtain was the curtain that divided the holy place from the holiest of holies. People tell us that that curtain was as, the thick of his, as thick as a man's hand. Upwards to six inches thick. And the temple was 150 feet tall. So they knew the fact that Luke records this and others wants us to know Man didn't do this. Something supernatural did it. In fact, not only is this curtain of the temple torn in two from top to bottom, graves are opened up. Matthew tells us that after Jesus rises from the dead, others who had believed also rise from the dead and went into Jerusalem and testify. Now, I don't know about you, but that would freak me out. Think about the power and effect that this event had and still has on us to this very day. And I want you to realize, Jesus makes seven statements. It is finished, as Steve preached on Friday, is the sixth statement. In Scripture, six is the number of man. And it was on the sixth day that Jesus created human beings. But seven? Seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. By the way, it's the number of rest. You see, on the seventh day, God rested from his creation. You see, Jesus has cried out to forgive. He offered pardon and redemption. He screamed out as he poured out the wrath as he bore the wrath on the holiness of God. He loved and cared for his mother. He thirsted for us. But the culmination of redemption comes with that wonderful and sacred cry. It is finished. But the hope of the cross is this last statement. Because we're assured that this sacrifice is enough. It is indeed final. It's accepted. God's holiness is satisfied. Mercy and grace are now complete. Like in Genesis, God looks and sees that is very good. And now Jesus rests. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit is a statement that's a prayer and a declaration. It's a reality and a promise. And notice that Luke tells us he yelled it out. He yelled it with a loud voice. Why did he do that? I believe because he wanted Satan to hear it. He wanted his enemies that stood there mocking. He wanted that other thief and all those who thought that Jesus was forsaken and powerless and abandoned and that he had lost. Now they're confronted. No, I didn't lose. You lose. <laughs> I posted a song on my Facebook page this past week of a cantata, a musical that Debbie and I sang in a number of years ago, and I got the glorious privilege to sing this song titled, This Is How Love Wins. Standing on the cross, 
in complete perfection. Jesus rebukes death and sin and Satan, comforts his mother and John and you and I. Fellowship is restored. The incarnation of Christ is accomplished. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The prophecies are fulfilled. The work is done. I want you to know on this peculiar Easter of 2020, Jesus' work to redeem for himself a people is accomplished. Coronavirus doesn't stop it. Governments don't stop it. Demonic powers can't stop it. Genesis 3.15 is done. When he told that serpent Satan, he said, You will bruise his heel, but I will crush your head. And now John 3.16 is a reality. No more doubts. No more waiting. But did you know that even this statement is fulfilling prophecy? If you have your Bibles and you've got the time, go to Psalm 31. Psalm 31, and listen to David here. Every one of these statements fulfill the prophecy. And in Psalm 31, listen to this. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Sounds like rest to me. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to hear me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Listen, my friends, as you're watching and listening today, only Jesus, the God-man, the Messiah, the Savior, who is God, could live perfectly the life none of us could ever live. Jesus is the perfect, sinless substitute. Only Jesus, our Savior, has the strength to endure the infinite wrath of a holy God. Only Jesus, our Savior, is so perfect, so strong, so valuable. His one sacrifice can save all who will turn to him. It's the complete humanity and divinity of Jesus that makes all this possible. And that's why Jesus cries this out. And notice, Jesus calls God Father. Twice, in Matthew chapter 4, and again in Matthew chapter 19, God called Jesus his beloved son. Multiple times, Jesus calls God his father. John's gospel is filled with this, where Jesus talks of the fellowship he has with the father, that they are one. They work in complete union and perfection. And that's why... This statement is so important. I believe this is what motivated the preacher of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1. He begins his sermon with, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Now watch how Jesus is described. He, Christ, is the radiance of of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. <laughs> Jesus 
As the old hymn says, who could have called 10,000 angels. Jesus who calmed a storm with two simple words. Jesus who only days earlier had called Lazarus from the dead four days after he died. Jesus who had fed thousands, given sight to the blind. One woman simply touched the hem of his garment. This Jesus who's been rejected and despised, tortured and tormented. But now it's over. It is Finished, and he commits himself to God. Oh, now Philippians chapter 2 should make sense to you. Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit. So Paul would say, who, Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now here's the result of this seventh statement. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> oh, he has got fellowship. It's a statement where he rests and reigns for three days. He was in a tomb. But on Sunday morning, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus rises from the dead. And then 40 days after that, he would ascend to his father in front of disciples. Which brings me to my second point. Jesus rests and reigns. Because he makes a way for us to God. You see, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Was the resting and reigning of Jesus as he's back in fellowship with his Father. But now he says it because he makes a way for you and I to God. Jesus is bruised and beaten, alone and suffering. But notch now. Despite all of that, he's got sweet communion, sweet relationship with God the Father. He can talk to him and rest in him and deliver himself over to him. So communion with God, are you ready for this? Is not dependent on time, place, or circumstances. Well, that should thrill you right now. Think about your Bible. David in a cave pursued by Saul is still in communion with God. Daniel in a lion's den for standing up for right. Sleeps like a baby. Praying and singing to God. Remember his three friends that Nebuchadnezzar threw into that fiery furnace? And when Nebuchadnezzar looks in, he sees a fourth. And they said, we were communing with the Son of Man. Elijah in a cave. Stephen being stoned to death. Remember Paul and Silas in prison in stocks, whipped and beaten, are praying and praising God at midnight. We've got countless examples of missionaries and martyrs, good times and bad. Jesus has made a way for you and I to call out to God so we can pray and praise and petition we can be woeful or worshipful, no matter the circumstances, the time, the place, or even the issue. Jesus rests and reigns to give you and I a living relationship with God. <laughs> Jesus' prayer of communion means so many things 
Now we've been adopted by God the Father. Do you remember how John started his gospel in John chapter 1? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is our reality. Friends, listen to me. Death is but a door for a Christian, all because of Jesus. The resurrection was more than a confirmation. The disciples realized that Jesus' resurrection was not merely the resuscitation of a corpse who was destined to die again. No, when Jesus rose again, it started a whole new humanity. It was shaped for life in the eternal kingdom of God. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus spells death, the end of an old age determined by human sin, and now says no, because Christ resurrected. It marks the start of a new age determined by another man's righteousness. So this adoptive reality can mitigate your fear today. What do we worry about? Be honest. Do you worry about your future? Who you're going to marry? Where will I go to school? What if I don't graduate? What if I get sick? I lose my job. Where should I work if I can even find a job? Should I stay in Newfoundland or move away? Should I buy a house or rent? How am I going to pay for all of this? Can I retire? Will I survive this pandemic? What's going to happen? I believe that's the biggest question on all of our minds of late. What happens next? But through Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection, his example and his work, we can grasp that we too have a loving heavenly father. A father who loves us and is for us. You don't have to worry. God, our father, has the ultimate best for us all. So no matter how rough life gets, we can commit ourselves to our father just like Jesus does here. And not only that, But God's care for us is personal and kind. Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit means we now have access to God as Father. Once again, remember Hebrews 4. Because we have a great high priest who was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin, we can now boldly become before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. We now have attained an inheritance. That's what we find about in Romans chapter 8. One man puts it out so well. The lifting up of the cross was the first insofar as it demonstrated Christ as the supremely obedient son to his heavenly father and established him as the sole dispenser of salvation by virtue of his role as the Lamb of God. And we have the assurance that this access to God lasts forever. Remember in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and no one can pluck them out of my father's hand. We've received an inheritance purchased for us by Christ's penal substitutionary atonement. His death on the cross paid the price for our sin. His resurrection on Sunday was God's declaration. Death is defeated. And so as we bring this sermon to a close, 
My final point, Jesus rests and reigns because he is God. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Not just signifies his renewed fellowship with God. Doesn't just tell us that you and I now have access to God. It tells us that Jesus is God. And this is the most exciting part of this for me. He commits his spirit to his Father. Have you ever realized how many passages talk of that? We're told over and over again that Jesus is now at the right hand of God the Father. We're told by John that he is our advocate. Paul tells us he's our intercessor, that Jesus hears us when we pray. Peter tells us that Jesus knows who belongs to him. Isaiah the prophet said his blood washes us white as snow. But what's more, we've been forgiven all of our debts. All sin is dealt with. That's what Steve talked about two days ago. But Jesus also gives us all his righteousness. If you read all four of the Gospels about the death of Jesus, no one is content to simply say, Jesus died. They go out of their way to say, Jesus laid down his life. He wasn't killed. He laid down his life. They go out of the way to tell us death wasn't the end. It's only the beginning. Why? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus died obediently to the will of God the Father and came forth from the grave, God the Son. Only God can do that. Only God who cannot and will not lie, who never changes. This man, Hebrews tells us, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12 tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and ready, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Peter puts it like this, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. But is anything more powerful than when you go to Revelation chapter 5 and John in his vision sees the throne of heaven and the cry goes out to all of humanity and all of creation, who is worthy to take the scroll? And John says nobody answers. And he starts to cry. But one of the elders, it says, said to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And John describes what he sees. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's you and me, by the way. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus rests and reigns because he's risen. 
<laughs> Even in an empty room, I'm getting excited about this. This has been our journey to the cross. But it's so much more. So here's my question. In the midst of COVID-19, job losses, fear of disease, wondering about the bills, not able to gather with family and friends or come together as a church, are you, am I, resting in Jesus? Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then Paul goes on and he says that famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And he says, indeed, for pestilence or any of these things shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus rest means we can rest. Remember when Paul talked about that thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Every time I despair that the world is getting worse and my own individual life is making very little progress, Church, listen, I'm comforted by the knowledge that the very power of God that raised Jesus from the dead now is accessible to me and to you. Christ lives. Jesus reigns. Over and over again, Jesus changes the leper's spots and melts the heart of stone. So are you resting in Christ? But also, do you realize that we reign? Because Jesus reigns. John told us in 1 John chapter 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. So ring the bells. Ring the bells. Let the whole world know. Christian, now more than ever, tell others. Invite them into your life. Share with them. Forgive, love, sacrifice, repent, confess. Wrestle with your sin. Be patient with others who wrestle with theirs. You and I can rest and reign with Christ because he rests and reigns in heaven right now. And to any and all of you who are looking in, can I ask, do you know Jesus like this? Are you resting on Jesus or yourself? Is your strength trying to be found in your spouse or your kids, your social standing or your government, your bank account or your job or your business, your home or your possessions, your fr friends, your looks, your grades, your power, your influence, your health. Listen to me. All of those things are going to fail you. None of them can save you and none of them will give you peace. Only Jesus can give you rest here and now for eternity. Only Jesus invites you to rule with him, empowers you to overcome anything that you'll face. He'll guide you through any valley, any trial, any circumstance. So Calvary family, come to Jesus. Rest on Jesus. And this Easter, we will remember it. And likely, if and as God tarries, 
We'll even mark our calendars by this pandemic. But the only one who was the same yesterday, today, and forever is Jesus Christ. And just like William Featherston, who wrote this hymn when he was 16 and died while he was serving others who were sick in the last pandemic this world knew, said, I will love you in life and I will love you in death and say, as long as thou lendest me breath and say when the death do lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Father God, how I pray for my friends and my family that have watched this entire service. Lord, I have been here in this room, haven't left it. I have no idea how this went out over the airwaves. I don't know if there was lag or interruption, if the volume was right. Lord, I don't know who watched and who didn't. But I do know this, that your word is powerful and quick and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, I beg of you that my friends and family that have heard this service will have been affected by it. I pray for young adults to realize they can't play church. They've got to decide, will I rest in Jesus or will I keep trying it my way? For grandmas and grandpas to surrender their kids and their grandkids to you. For marriages to move towards you. Oh God, because Jesus rests and reigns, we can. So on this very peculiar Easter, bring us before you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.